And the Oscar goes to, by a nose, Nicole Kidman. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the Kid Manifesto. Hi, Sam. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here to discuss this terrible movie. I'm thrilled to be here, too. I've taken uh, a little bit of a hiatus from recording, and I've just been coasting on... um, Sorry to, like, peel back the curtain, but I've had some (laughs) episodes recorded for a while uh, that I've been able to use, and I'm back in the recording closet, and it feels like home. Oh, well, I'm I'm thrilled to, you know, gently guide you back into your... uh, uh, you know, more prolific state. So that sounded gross. I apologize. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it feels appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been looking at my, my list and um, all, really all Nicole movies are gems, but if we're being honest, there are a couple that are uh, some tough sells and I've been like, Oh, I need to get those, get those on the mics that the last, you know, 10 weeks of this podcast or something aren't. Well, I know. Uh, I, I gotta tell you, cause I was wondering like, is this actually her worst? Is this her worst movie? And like, I was listening respect to the grace of Monaco podcast that I was listening to earlier, but I think we might not to, not to jump the gun here, but I think we might have a winner. Yeah. So I'm really just, I'm spilling all my secrets, but we will consider the rankings of this podcast and our guests' uh, kind of evaluations to be canon, but I was doing a little journalism myself, and I was on Letterboxd last night. I was ranking them by performance, and I will say that the movie that we are here to talk about today uh, was not in the bottom, and actually wasn't even in the bottom five for reasons you and I can discuss off mic, Mm. but um, I'm curious to see how it will fare. Uh, Let's, can you... Can you just tell me a little bit about your history with Nicole? I love phrasing it that way. Yeah, happy to. I mean, I I feel like I'm probably like a couple years older than your typical guest. Like, I'm old enough to remember when Nicole was like just Tom Cruise's wife and like was kind of just considered just arm candy and people weren't, you know, maybe she got good reviews for Dead Calm, but people looked at her as like, playing a 23-year-old neurosurgeon in Days of Thunder, and they just they just thought that she was um, uh, kind of a lightweight. But when I was 13, To Die For came out, and I saw that movie three times in the theater, and I still think it's the best thing she's ever done. Um, I was just completely obsessed. And then that was the run of, like, Portrait of a Lady and Eyes Wide Shut. And, like, so from teenage... So from the time that I was a teenager, I was pretty much, pretty much an intense uh, Nicole Stan... Um, through thick and thin, <laughs> and as we know, you know there have been boom times and bust times uh, in the ensuing twenty years or or so. <clears throat> and I think uh, this movie that we're talking about today is just a really fascinating example of like what may literally be the you know nadir of uh, of Nicole. It is. I mean, it's really bad. Uh, so, are you are you on the record as considering to die for her best performance? Yeah, it's the one that I keep going back. I mean, there was that guy Lodge um, Nicole uh, bracket that, uh, that the poll that he did on Twitter a couple of years ago. Um, he had a catchy name for it that I'm, I'm blanking on. I, but I, I was I was with um, to die for the entire time, and I think I think it I think it came down to to die for and birth as the final two in that poll, if I'm not mistaken. But I was I was writing for to die for the entire time. I think just the uh, comic timing in that movie, and just the fact that like she's so she's literally addressing the screen the entire time in a way that is it usually doesn't work 
Um, and that yeah, I Tanya wishes it was to die. Yeah, for. I, I've said. I think I said that on the episode. I like I Tanya <laughs> a lot. It, it, you're right. It does wish it was to die for. I, I feel like there's a lot of traces of that style and that script in in I Tanya. Um, and it's uh, I think I think I Tanya is a lot to die for, um, which is interesting too because it's like in both cases you have this blonde Australian actress kind of staking her claim as a serious. Um, as you know, as a serious performer uh, in both of those movies. Yeah. I don't remember that poll, but I'm very, I feel very validated to hear that it came down to to die for and birth because uh, on my little informal list, I had birth as number one. And then I really struggled between the hours and to die for which to put as two Mm. and three. Uh, But um, I mean, they're all great. How can you (laughs) Uh, Most of them are great. I don't know. Do you want to talk? I don't know that the one we're here talking about. Most of them are great. I don't know that we'll ever talk about this particular movie on the podcast, so I'll just get it out. But there is a like made-for-TV movie that she was in from Australia in like 1983 called Room to Move, which is basically a PSA, and it's like towards the bottom because they never actually filmed the ending. (laughs) It just ends. They just they never completed production on it, and they were like, "This is." most of the story we'll just air it and like it was supposed to have sequels but like that's oh, below for that they were just being that. ambiguous about Bush they were just leaving here. Like a, it's Australia yeah. right so it's like a picnic at Hanging Rock kind of thing where they're just like letting you fill in the blank yourself you know I remember <laughs> that is the most generous comparison <laughs> but I remember even just being a little kid on HBO and they would air BMX Bandits all the time and I just remember like it was her with just like a wild like frizzy red hair just riding bikes with like these two guys like around Australia. And they kept saying like, a reckon, a reckon. Like that was just every other word was the word <laughs> reckon in a thick Australian accent. It was great. We, yeah, we stand the other <laughs> on this podcast. Yesterday I was being, <laughs> yesterday I was being dumb and I was tweeting from the podcast account saying like, oh, we're recording twice this weekend. And I found a photo of Nicole and like one of her stunt doubles in a movie. But I was trying really hard. <laughs> I was trying really hard to find her stunt double from BMX Bandits, which is like a 16 year old boy uh, because they couldn't find a, a girl stunt double to do her BMX things. And I just, I couldn't find it. It was really sad. Well, it's probably, she probably has a hard time finding stunt doubles who are tall enough. Yeah, even the stunt double that I did find for, like, the movie of her as an adult is significantly shorter. Aw. Do you want to uh, let the audience know which movie we're talking about today, if they can't read the title of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a little worried, because, you know, if people are, if people are like, searching iTunes for a podcast about um, the 1992 Trespass with Bill Paxton and Ice-T, they're definitely in the wrong place. We are doing... The 2011 uh, Joel Schumacher directed Louisiana tax credit masterpiece Trespass, starring our girl Nicole and Nicolas Cage. Nick and Nick, uh, baby. So it's a, <laughs> it's a Nick and Nick, Nick and Nick, Nick and Nick for who is having the worst like post Oscar moment uh, in this particular movie. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. I think this bears talking about, which is this is not the first Nicole Joel Schumacher joint uh, that we've discussed on this podcast, nor is it the first time that they've worked together at this point uh, because they came up with the iconic Batman forever. Yeah. I mean, I think if you see, if you see this movie, you just have to ask yourself, like, what is she doing here? Like it's very, it it makes sense as a Nicolas Cage movie. It is a Nicolas Cage movie through and through. But you just look at her in this 
um, low rent movie with this like really uh, kind of insulting uh, role. And you just, you know, I realized that she was going through a little bit of a um, career lull at this point after some flops in like the late aughts, but it's just, it's, you have to think she was like doing a favor for, for Joel or like had a particularly large tax payment due or something. Like, it just makes no sense that she's here in this. Yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, I will say that I, I genuinely had no idea what this movie was about. I like definitely know the titles of the movies she's in because all I do is stare at her IMDb page. So I knew sure. that this had like, I knew it had a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes, which like, fine, doesn't mean anything. Uh, and then like, I knew it was on Netflix and I'd seen the poster a billion times, um, but I still was not prepared for <laughs> for what I saw. Can I tell you a horrible secret? Yeah. I saw this movie in the theater. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and I don't think you can really talk about this movie without like putting it in context of how it was released. Like it premiered at the Toronto film festival in September, 2011, which in hindsight seems baffling. I don't even, I don't know what like festival category it, it could have premiered in Cause it's such like low rent straight to video junk. And then it opened Via in on VOD in October a month later at the same time that it opened in um, I, I looked this up ten U.S. theaters for one week. Um, one of them was in Boston where I lived, and I went to where I live now, and um, uh, went to like a ten a.m. Saturday morning show of it just to like you know check my check my Nicole uh, box, and it was like seven other people, old men alone. Insomniacs. I don't know, but it was a it was a thoroughly depressing experience, and I was I was I was a little worried about our girl. She had just had an Oscar nomination for Rabbit Hole, which I think um, you know was uh, isn't given enough credit for kind of like starting her back on the renaissance that she's been on the last few years. But this was like something that she had done before Rabbit Hole came out, and uh, was a was a low point. It, it, I can't believe you. It's such a specific amount of time because I like what I dug deep on this, and it, and of this thirty five million dollar budget, the movie made twenty four thousand dollars, and it was only in theaters, as you mentioned, for ten days. So you had just such a narrow window to see this movie. It broke the fastest theater to home video record um, by like ten days. It took eighteen. Um, and the movie that it beat was from Justin to Kelly, which I just feel like says it all. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it's easy to forget. Like, it was a very specific time. Like, now things are released on VOD and in theaters at the same time all the time. I mean, talk about Annihilation. Yeah, seriously. Well, especially, like, when you get into international rights and things like that, it gets very tricky. But, like, this was a pretty unusual thing for even um, six years ago, seven years ago. So... Um, it, it's an innovator it's in that way. <laughs> this movie's a trailblazer. It's an innovator. Uh, I I had seen what year it was. Really, it's 2011, right? Yeah. I had that in my mind, and like there were multiple times throughout the movie where I just was like, "Oh, this is much older than that." But then like Nick Cage has an iPhone four and just like snaps me back. But like this movie feels like it was made. 25 years ago. I, I had that same note. Like this, this movie makes 2011 seem like 1983. Um, and it's strange because it like, it, it, 
it labors to be topical in, in all these half-assed ways. Like there are references to the housing crash and 9-11 and, um, you, uh, oh yeah, there's definitely a 9-11 note that I have in here. Oh, oh me too. <laughs> so should we, should we talk a little bit more about exactly what this is about? <laughs> Yeah, sure. <laughs> give us give us your little one paragraph summary and then we'll we'll dive into it. Okay. So, this is again just like a Nicolas Cage vehicle through and through and it's basically like he is a down on his luck diamond dealer in like the Louisiana Bayou, which again, tax purposes very scenic, great. Uh he's he's very overextended, he's house poor. Um he lives in this gorgeous like gated mansion with his wife who's played by Nicole obviously and their rebellious teenage daughter and it it opens with him like driving in his convertible and he's shouting into his phone trying to like get this diamond deal done and and he says his name like three times he's like I'm Kyle Miller this is Kyle Miller and you're like all right Kyle Miller we get it and uh he comes home and there's clearly tension with Nicole and the daughter and then the next thing you know is that um these criminals posing as uh, as like security or police have broken into the house and want to uh, rob them for reasons that then get revealed in increasingly um, convoluted ways that are tough to care about. Like I was like taking notes and again, I'd seen this before, but like just taking notes on all the reversals of the motivations of, of, w- of what, um, the various thieves are 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 here for is just it's so tedious it's it's very convoluted and i like i take notes obviously like on the fly throughout the movies and it's really fun to watch me watch myself write like i guess the motivation is this now and then like three lines later i'll be like the motivation is actually this yeah strike through <laughs> no we totally we totally found out there's a different uh, motivation but it's really about i mean what the movie's really about is the Nicolas Cage character reclaiming his masculinity because we know from the beginning that he can't provide for his family financially. Um, we find out at a certain point, or we are led to believe that he has been cucked by Nicole. <laughs> In fact, I think he even uses that phrase at a certain point where he's like, I've been cuckled or something like that. Um, yeah, not he. Not only does he say it, but because he's saying it in his accent, he like pronounces the implied H in the middle of the word. So he right. says like, "I've been cuckolded." Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. fell oh, out of my couch. I, I believe the exact line is, "I'm a cuckold." Your filthy lust invited him in, uh, which is a good, that was good. Which is a good. Line. <laughs> well, I should also say too that he's he's doing a very particular. Um, he's doing a very particular tone of voice where he's like, it's it's almost like he did in Vampire's Kiss where he's trying to do nasal and in his head a little bit just to make you know that this is not, you know, tough action hero, The Rock, Nicolas Cage. This is, this is Cuckolas Cage or Nicolas Cuck. Um, and he is a, uh, he's an emasculated man. Um, he's also wearing like this, like, Robert Evans or like Peter Bogdanovich, like big glasses that are like kind of tinted. And he's wearing like a, a, like a purple tie, like a very loud purple tie. It's a whole, you can just imagine like the meetings that he and Schumacher had, like really like designing this character. Um, And uh, they'd probably be more entertaining than the movie. Yeah. He's wearing like big tinted, um, like Bobby Zarin, rest in peace, uh, (laughs) sunglasses. 
and <laughs> it's just such a such a specific look. Um, I was gonna say that I could tell this movie was going to be bad because of how bad the the title card font is. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember it? The the letter is like it's the opening is basically The Shining, which is just like watching a car drive from like a sky shot. Uh, but, but the letters kind of like fade onto the screen, and they look like I mean, it looks like it's hackers. Like it's like yeah, <laughs> twenty years old. Uh, well, and you've already seen like the Millennium Entertainment logo, which is like I don't even know if they still release movies anymore, but it was always just like totally low rent straight to VOD. Like when somebody couldn't, when somebody like Sylvester Stallone or somebody couldn't do um, big studio action movies anymore, they would do like millennium movies. So you get the millennium logo and then you get the Saturn pictures logo, which is, I believe Nicholas Cage's like vanity production company. So you know that he just had input every step of the way. And then it's, the, it's, it's that you're, you're right. It's like the shining at a lower sea level where it's like, just like, you know, o- overhead shot of him driving through. It's just, it, it feels very generic. <laughs> you just know you're in for, for just uh, not a, not an A, A level experience. Yeah. It's like you have the shining, you have like funny games and then you have trespass. <laughs> they all have the same opening. <laughs> two of those movies are, two of those movies are great. And one of those movies is trespass. Yeah. This movie is like funnier games. Cause I do, it is, it is quite funny here and there. Yeah. Um, particularly when we uh, find out some of the motivations of the uh, uh, the intruders. Um, do you know what I do? You know what I read? I don't know if you read this as well. That and I remember this being reported at the time. That I guess when Nicolas Cage showed up on set, he decided that he didn't want to play uh, the lead role of Kyle Miller, Diamond Dealer, and Cuckold. He decided he wanted. Oh yeah, he wanted to play the kidnapper. Yeah, he wanted to play uh, <laughs> Ben Mendelsohn's character, but he just like came in and declared this on set, um, and they had to convince him to actually play the role that he'd signed to do. <laughs> Which he, seems like a he pulled an he pulled an "I'm the Captain Now" moment and wanted to be yeah. <laughs> the kidnapper. And well, no, he wanted to be. Let me try that again. He wanted to be the trespasser because, as Beanie Feldstein in Ladybird says, it's the titular it's the role. Titular role, right? <laughs> um, he gets home and we meet his daughter Avery. And I feel like you might know that I'm going to try and talk about this because you and I, I think, have talked about this movie before. But do you know what else that daughter has been in specifically? Um, I've seen her in a couple of things. I, I remember she was in this movie called Trust, which was about like cyber, like about like a teenage girl mm-hmm. getting into like a dangerous, like cyber stalker relationship. And I remember her parents in that movie were played by Clive Owen and Catherine Keener. I think that's what I know her from. She is in Trust. And I, most importantly, and I've talked about this so many times on the podcast that these people should start paying me, but she was the nun in Novitiate right. that like quit. Right. <laughs> I do remember that. Um, and you and I have talked about this movie before because I feel like we were two of the only people that saw it, the third being Chris Vile. That saw Novitiate? Yeah. yeah, Novitiate's really boring. Like, I was I was surprised that that movie got the the level of critical acclaim. Maybe it's because I, I'm not... Maybe if you're a Catholic, you, like, have a certain connection to it. But it was just... Boy, that, that just felt like one of those, like, deadly serious protracted indies where you're just like you know where it's headed and you're just like waiting for Melissa Leo to lose her shit again. So you can wake up. That was my experience with that movie. Yeah, no, it's the biggest crime that it, <laughs> that it commits against its audience is just how boring oh. it is, which like, 
is nothing against nothing against the Catholic Church, nothing against ceremony. All of those things could be fascinating, but like just the way that they're composed on screen is so yeah. dull. And Melissa Leo is insane. Uh, anyway, Novitiate comes out on um, video on demand and DVD yeah, next don't, week. Don't so rent it. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have like an insomnia problem, like just fire that up on iTunes. Uh, what do you think about Nicole's uh, bangs and glasses? I am inclined to think that her hair is cl- the closest to practical magic that it's ever been since that movie came out. That is a great point. I know that a, a solid like 20% of this podcast is typically devoted to discussing wigs. Um, mm-hmm. This is, this is, I, I just like that she's positioned as this like doting housewife and she, it, she's, which she has this ultra practical, like, Raph, pre-Raphaelite like pile of red hair that's just like cascading down her uh, black V-neck house dress, her like little black house dress that she's wearing. This is this movie's um, uh, assumptions about uh, you know a caring wife and mother, homemaker, and and how she uh, is dressed for just like an evening of chores around the house is is pretty funny. It's it makes no sense, and I feel bad for her when she changes because one of the things we'll learn really early on is that this marriage is under pressure, and she wishes Nicolas Cage was home more, so she like puts on a like sexy pair of underwear and a dress, and he just like looks straight through her, and I felt a little bad. Yeah, I, I felt bad for her, and, and you know we're again meant to uh, have some questions about. Um, you know, things that she may have done uh, in order to cause tension in the marriage. And there's uh, a red herring planted about her uh, relationship with uh, the hot trespasser, uh, who's played by Cam Gigande, who I can't believe we haven't even brought up till now. Oh, I was, I'm I'm very ready to talk about all three of them because I have some pretty strong words about each of them individually. (laughs) Also, I genuinely had no idea how to say his last name, so thank you so oh, much. Oh, I don't know that either. That's just a guess. So, like, I was just gonna come out here and be like, "Cam Egan, Dad." <laughs> I, I think I, I let's put it this way: I hope it's pronounced Gigande. I, I can't imagine a better uh, a better way to pronounce that particular assortment of letters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I think we'll get there, but I. I I just never have heard his name spoken aloud, and I assume that if we say it one more time, if we say it one more time, he'll show up. Where would you be? Yeah, right. Um, Here's here's how little this movie gives a fuck about anything, and this is maybe only something I would recognize because of the uh, career that I have. But when Nick Cage like storms into his office and is sitting at his desk, he has um, a like an Apple Cinema display which is not a computer. It's just a screen and there's no computer hooked up to it. And not only that, so they're just like masquerading that as like a desktop, but not only that, it doesn't have the power cord. <laughs> there's no power. It's not even, that's not plugged in. The power cord is not present um, because it's removable. And so it's just on the desk, yeah. uh, like masquerading. It's a, it, may <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it may as well be a mirror. Exactly. Uh, but this movie is just like not concerned. Everybody was just trying to get paid on this one, I think, including the set decorator. Yeah, they just had one of those in the editing room, and they're like, "We'll just move it down there, but like leave the power cord because it's in like a really hard place to unplug." <laughs> but like, just bring it back when you're done. So before we uh, can keep talking about Nick and Nick and Cam, I feel like there are some other key cast members that are worth a mention. 
like, did you recognize, uh, it, it's, it's made clear very early that the daughter, Liana Liberato from Novitiate, wants to go to this party, um, but it's a party that she's being, uh, a, that she's accompanying her slutty friend, uh, Kendra. And, Kendra, uh, who has a red convertible BMW that says princess on the license plate. Well, slight correction, it actually says princes, because they only let you have seven letters on a license plate. So if I'm not mistaken, it's actually P-R-I-N-C-E-S, which, uh, I don't know, maybe she's just like a um, a two princes fan. What was that band from the 90s? Yeah, I was going to make that joke, but I could, is it, it's not Spin Doctors, it's... um, It is Spin Doctors. Is it? Okay, cool. Hey, <laughs> but she is that is uh, Emily Mead from The Deuce. She's really good on The Deuce, and uh, not and not so good. <laughs> <laughs> the only is that the show that Juno Temple's on. No, that's the David Simon show on HBO with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal about porn. Oh, okay. Is Juno Temple? Wait, what's Juno? Te- is Juno Temple on the Melissa Leo joint? So I'll say this, it's surprising that Juno Temple isn't in a show about uh, Times Square porn in the 1970s. It feels like she was probably just waiting by the phone. You're th- I think you're thinking of Vinyl, which was the Scorsese, Mick Jagger, HBO show set in New York in the 70s that didn't last. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Juno that's, Temple uh, was That's definitely what it was. I just rewatched her in Atonement, and uh, she's quite funny. Yeah, she and Benedict Cumberbatch really have a uh, frightening uh, subplot there. Uh, the worst the worst part of that movie is when he's looking at her after he gives her the candy bar. This is such a tangent. Yeah. And she's like just staring at it and he's like, bite it. <laughs> I hate that. The, the worst. Uh, I, I remember seeing that movie and like when he came on screen just being like, I have never seen a professional actor this repellent. Uh, and then cut to like two years later and he was this heartthrob that everybody... Uh, was obsessed with so I yeah. shows what I know. This is neither here nor there. Um, my next note is when Nick Cage leaves his office and he goes into like the semi-constructed portion of the home and he like puts his hands up on the on the wall that's being built. And I just wrote down mother. <laughs> yeah, totally. If there was a sink in that room, <laughs> it would not be braced. It would not have been braced yet. Is that the scene with Chekhov's nail gun? Because they definitely introduced yeah. the nail gun really early on, and you know that nail gun is going to get used. There are two extremely ham-fisted like inserts of things that we should like learn to be significant. Well, three actually. Just the two? Three. Yeah, One is the nail gun. <laughs> <laughs> three that I can think of immediately. One is the nail gun. Two is the uh, the light, the gold lighter that's outside that Nick Cage finds, and they assume to be the daughters that is like sneaking cigarettes and just leaving them in the oh, right. light. And then three, three is when um, Kendra, princess, princes, um, picks up the daughter and they drive to the party and she like almost drives into a telephone right. pole and then it's played for nothing. And you're like, hmm, maybe that yeah. will come back into play later in the movie. Can I, can I suggest a fourth one? And maybe uh, this is, is too obvious to even point out, but when they get to the party, which is hosted by Nico Tortorella from uh, younger and Instagram fame, um, he mm-hmm. takes them into a closet where he basically just like, opens his dad's safe, which is full of, and I quote, cash and Cipro in case of the next 9-11. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> so you know that yeah. there, that safe <laughs> is going to play a role in the third act, which it does. But I did think it was kind of funny that for a movie that's clearly sad, I mean, it was sh- shot around Shreveport and like is clearly sad in like the Louisiana Bayou. Is it that they're concerned about the next 9-11 or are you concerned about maybe the next Katrina? And in a hurricane, is paper cash really what you want to like make sure that, you know, you're going to survive the, the, the storm? I, I don't think so. Um, it, it just strikes me as a script that was written in 2003 that just sat around for eight years and then they got around to making it and they were like, yes, 9-11. Like, we definitely are all still afraid well, and, of that. And, and even in the sur- opening scene it. when Cage is like, he's, he's uh, trying to sell the diamond and he's also talking about a real estate deal. I don't know. He has his finger in a number of pies. Can we talk about how bad the lighting is in this movie? Yeah, we can. We can also talk about the CGI fire later. I guess we'll get to that. That's, like, that's later. But I'm pretty forgiving with that kind of stuff uh, in a movie as far as lighting. Like, I'm willing to overlook, like, lighting that is coming from all sides and things like that. Like, just, But it's mm. just, it is so bad in this movie. And they <laughs> they talk about Twilight at one point, which Twilight reference to Cam. Uh, oh, yeah. And they're standing, it's like Nick and Nicole standing in the kitchen and they're like being lit from the like doors that lead to the pool. And it's just, it's, it's like Blade Runner lighting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's never like a convincing sense that people actually live in this house or anybody has spoken to each other, you know, five minutes before the, more than five minutes before the camera started rolling, like, Ben Mendelsohn, who's the head uh, trespasser, and Cam are supposed to be brothers, and that just doesn't is not convincing. Um, poor Jordana Spiro uh, is the uh, their female accomplice, and this is just one of the most humiliating roles for an actress that I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, basically, as soon as they break into the house, she just. Uh, heads upstairs and starts smoking crack and trying on Nicole's clothes, which God bless. Do you, like, do you um, <laughs> did you ever watch Buffy? Yeah. Okay. So the only thing that I could think about the way that Ben Mendelsohn and Jan Spiro interact is like when they introduce Spike and Drusilla in season two and Drusilla is like super unwell and yes. like Spike, it just keeps being like, it's okay, baby. It's okay. Like, blah, blah, blah. that's like beat for beat the only thing that, that's doing there and i was like well at least like drusilla like gets her agency back and like really fucks some stuff up like almost immediately and this poor woman like no. just does not catch a break no. at all she's just using a first generation apple tv to watch like slideshows of the daughter and like smoke drugs yeah it's uh well of course you find her backstory and of course she's a stripper and of course she is a kid and uh, it, it, there's definitely a lot of humiliating moments. I mean, there's also that uh, poor, poor, poor Jordana Spiro. Like it, def- it kind of reminded me of, of um, you know, on Orange Is the New Black, where they'll do the backstory of one of the inmates, and they'll cut to like, you know, the trailer park in Appalachia, and like the mother and the grandmother, and there are all of these uh, guest stars are clearly played by Juilliard trained New York theater actresses trying to play like. Appalachian trailer dwellers and it just doesn't work. That's that's Jordana Spiro playing this swamp like single mom stripper. <laughs> like it's just it just is not. You just feel bad for 
her having to do this. It's, it's really sad. Uh, we need to talk about Ben Mendelsohn because I need to say one thing, and that is, f- I fucking hated Darkest Hour so much. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I mean, it's, uh, I- I'll say this about Darkest Hour. I saw it, I was double featuring um, it and Wonder Wheel. So I saw Darkest Hour like literally oh. 20 minutes after I saw Wonder Wheel. So it might have been like a little bit, l- let's just say that I was like primed to give something the benefit of the doubt. Um, so I didn't hate Darkest Hour. I think it like kind of lacked that Joe Wright like electricity that you get from some of his other movies. Darkest Hour feels more, just feels a lot more rote than his movies. Um, but I also just don't remember Ben Mendelsohn in it. He's the king. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, that I remember scene. who he plays, but I can't remember. Like, <laughs> I can't even really picture him in it. I just remember like, I here's what I remember about Darkest Hour. I remember. Uh, Gary Oldman in his big uh, in his like fat suit accidentally exposing himself to Lily James which happens like twice multiple times. times it happens twice yeah, yeah hashtag times up like it's the worst and uh, I just remember a lot of like Kristen Scott Thomas at her makeup table um, either listening to uh, Churchill uh, as he talks to her in person or like listening to him on the radio that's all I oh and of course the scene in the tube which everyone uh, has rightly um like ridden for the filth that it is. It's, it's, it's bad. I can't, we are about 24 and some odd hours away from him getting an Academy Award. And I just, I fucking hate that movie, honestly. And I've said it before on this podcast and I truly mean it. Congratulations to best picture nominee, Lily James. I cannot <laughs> believe it. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's interesting because we should note that we're recording this on Oscar weekend because trespass kind of serves as such a cautionary tale for, Whoever wins uh, Best Actor and Best Actress tomorrow, like this could be your life in, 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 you know, 10 or 15 short years after your win. You could be, you know, in Shreveport with Schumacher, just, you know, hoping the uh, tax rebates come through. I can't believe 35 million. Really? This movie? <laughs> like, it just, it's not on screen. I don't know. I don't know where it went. I think maybe it went to casting the last trespassy, which is um personal crush of mine, Dash Mihawk. <laughs> I assume that they just were like, here's, here's half of this budget to be in our movie. Yeah, he's uh he's um, Yeah, I like I, I like him too. I, I always think he uh he has that thing where he that a lot of actors can't do that I was kind of referring to earlier, where you feel like kind of like Michael Rappaport, you you feel like he actually uh for lack of a better term, like feels kind of street like he's somebody who may actually have committed a criminal act and some he can convincingly play that a lot of actors kind of can't um yeah he's um he's in that the what i think is the best episode of pushing daisies with jama mays <laughs> the episode where um they sing uh birdhouse in your soul this is a rant I've never it's watched fine. Pushing Daisies, but that sounds uh, that sounds delightful. Well, Rob, it's been really nice having you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can find us here. Now that you're banned forever. Yeah, your persona non grata for saying that you didn't hate Darkest Hour and that you've never seen Pushing Daisies. Yeah, strike two. Yeah, so but Dash is like is good. He's the uh, he's the genuinely scary one of the four of them because you know you have Mendelssohn who kind of just like. It's really just running his mouth off the whole time. You have Cam, who's just making puppy dog eyes at Nicole and and uh, slowly getting out of a pool in flashback, which we'll get to. And and you know Jordana like 
trying to get her pipe lit and trying on uh, jewelry. <laughs> um, I can't believe how much of this movie we have left to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> are we going? So where are we? Are we going through? Because I, I mean, they've just they've just shown up, but I think we can do this. <laughs> I because uh, um because well, but that's kind of an apps like description for what actually happens in the movie because then they just show up and then i mean this movie is like a tight 90 minutes but once they get in the house which happens within the first 10 oh my god does it go back and forth like they're just in the house the entire time pretty much and it just goes back and forth here oh yeah 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 (laughs) no go ahead well i mean the one so there are a couple of things that like disrupt the monotony and a lot of it has to do with the daughter so like the daughter decides the party with Nico Tortorella sucks and she comes home and she sneaks back over the wall that she sucked the other way out of. And she sneaks into her room only to find that her parents are being held hostage by thieves. And there's this great moment. Isn't there also, Oh yeah. You're well, going to say, go ahead. <laughs> like they're chasing her around the house. Like it, it disrupts the whole situation and they're chasing her around the house. And she like picks up like a succulent, like a like a desert plant, and just like throws it at Kevchikante, and he falls down the stairs. Like she's definitely better equipped to handle the trespassing than either of her parents are. Oh, she knew. What I was going to say is, isn't there also kind of like a sight gag where because at this point, um, female trespasser has put on one of Nicole's dresses, which Cam does not like because he is very invested in Nicole. But there's this like sight gag where the daughter gets home and like she thinks from behind that that woman is her mother. And then she turns around and it's just <laughs> yeah, like crack smoking yeah. robber. It's this <laughs> like swamp rat. Like, oh yeah, that would be very disturbing. But you know, it doesn't really play though because it's oh, not. I mean, that again, that like pile of practical magic hair is so distinctive. Uh, you could spot it at fifty feet, no matter what uh, angle you're at. And then, and then the daughter. I was just going to say a couple of stray observations here. One, I love when the robbers are taking their phones at the beginning and like Nicolas Cage gives up his iPhone 4 and Nicole's just like, I don't know. <laughs> Which frankly, from what we know about this character, I totally buy. Because there's no evidence in this uh, movie ever that she's not like a shut-in. Like, is there ever any suggestion that she's ever left the house? No, she gets as far as the yard at the end, but that is... Um, she does. Yeah, that's true. She that's does it. get to the yard, <laughs> but I don't think they ever mention any career that she has or even anything. I mean, even in the flashback, she's like in the kitchen, like well, making iced tea for him, like to catch a predator as he's like swimming in the pool. In one of the flashbacks, there's the one where she's crying at the desk, and behind them is the like model of the home that they live in that they've been building, and like Cam asks her about it, and she seems to imply that she like had a heavy hand in like designing it. And I thought she was going to be like, I'm an architect, but nope. (laughs) No, no. Well, this movie is very afraid of, I want to talk about Schumacher a little bit, just because like his, he's such an interesting filmmaker uh, in some ways. I mean, he's not in the sense that most of his movies are, are pretty bad, but like he's interesting in such a way where like, especially for a gay filmmaker, like he doesn't, He's, he doesn't seem very interested in um, uh, female agency. Like, I feel like usually a lot of gay male filmmakers, like, are very interested in creating well-rounded female characters. But this movie is terrified of female sexuality. 
Like, oh yeah, sometimes, and you know this because you're a member of gay Twitter, but sometimes gay people just hate women, and that's their true. Best that's secret. a good point. Yeah, <laughs> surprise. Um, so, but there are all these weird moments. Like, there's a scene where, um, very early on, where like the daughter and uh, Kendra are going into the party, and uh, Kendra says to her like tells her to like lie about her age and she's like how old should i be and she just says legal legal which is really weird yeah. and, and then when Bad. and then when ben mendelson bursts into the house and he's holding cage at gunpoint he's like where's your underage daughter which what why does it matter like what like is why would you even bring up the yeah they've They've made it a point many times at this at this juncture to like let them know that they know things about their lives. Like a good example is they make this big show of asking for the safe code, or I'm sorry, not the safe code, but the um, home alarm code. And they tell him it's like you know seven four six five. But they he goes and he types something else because he's smart enough to know that like that's the fake like dummy activation code. And so I think that like him saying like where's your underage daughter is a way to be like we know her age, but like it's just the creepiest manifestation of the way to say that yeah and just not a thing that anyone ever would say in real life um and then another thing also just from the female sexuality side like a lot of it ends up hinging on whether or not nicole actually cheated which is gross yes she is definitely villainized possibly more than most of the criminals in this movie which is uh problematic (laughs) i was also going to say speaking of things that people don't say in real life when Nicolas Cage gives a speech about the aesthetics of the safe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, he's like at one point he's like, uh, the, one of the criminals is like, oh, you like, you think you're smart hiding this behind, like this safe My behind a painting? And he's like, well, actually, it was just, no one wants to look at a safe on the wall. It's just the aesthetics of it. <laughs> well, he doesn't even say that. He says it's aesthetic, which is not how you use that word. Like, the, the safe, like, the safe behind the painting is aesthetic. Like, no, that's not how, how that word is used. He also uh, gives, like, a whole diatribe, like, an etym- like etymological explanation of the origins of the word diamonds, which, which feels like a cage, the producer note, to Like, this guy's gonna, like, know the, you know, the, uh, the etymological history of the word. And you're like, all right. Yeah, it's uh, honestly a rival wishes that they had that speech when Amy <laughs> Adams is talking about like talking about the kangaroo and also what she's talking about like a question is predicated on. <laughs> right. Well, he's also talking about like the si- the science of the inscriptions and the diamond, and you're like, is this? One of the ways he buys time is by saying like, you can't just take these diamonds from me and sell them because like they have a signature and like people know that they're these diamonds. So like, who's going to cut them for you? And like, who's going to do this and this and that? And he's like, I'm, I'm your most valuable man. Uh, how about the beautiful, just chef's kiss camera work where Nick Cage loses his glasses, they break and the focus goes out Yeah, because we need to tell the audience that he can't see and neither can you. It was you. very like Milhouse Van Houten. Like, it was just, like, you know, how, how do you, like, extra extra cuck the cock? Like, make him literally, like, groping the floor for his broken glasses. It was beautiful. It's so bad. There's a disgusting line in the kitchen where, like, Ben Mendelsohn takes Nicole in there and says, like, serve me like you serve my brother, which is horrifying. Yeah, and then also is, like, he's, and then he's immediately, like, I need you to say, I deserve to die. Which, like, oh. Can we torture this poor woman more in ways that are like, 
just really sexist and disgusting. Well, and we should, yeah, that scene was really upsetting. And, and we should clarify, too. So, like, the ten, so the movie, like, kind of plays fast and loose, where it will have these little flashes of flashback that lead you to believe that Nicole uh, had an affair with Cam Gigande, which is why, you know, is, is how he found out about um, uh, how to get into the house, kind of. The, the, the initial surprise is that, oh, one of these intruders is somebody that, that has slept with Nicole before, um, and uh, thus cooking Nicholas Cage. And there are all these flashbacks where she's, like, again, like, serving iced tea while he's swimming in the pool, and it's very much like that. Um, have you ever seen that SNL sketch with... Uh, where Julia Louis-Dreyfus was hosting and she's like a rich lady and her pool boy is, paid, is played by Pete Davidson. And the joke is that she has uh, mustered up the courage to break up with him and she's like giving this heartfelt plea. And, he, and the joke is he's played this character in other sketches where he's just like a dumb teenager and he's like, okay, like he doesn't, he couldn't care less. Um, those scenes reminded me of that sketch. I will go on record as saying that I haven't watched an episode of Saturday Night Live in years and I think it's an institution that should be burnt to the ground like we see later <laughs> Duly in noted. But we but, but with real <laughs> fire and not just digital <clears throat> digital fire. But I but just to finish the thought that that thought that what we then find out is that um you know the the twist is that uh, the flashbacks that we've seen of them kissing are not complete. He has uh he is obsessed with her. Uh he was actually like setting up the security system in their home, became obsessed with her somehow just like went swimming in their pool when she had her back turned and was brewing iced tea and then like gets out of the pool, kisses her non-consensually. And she's like, stop it. I love my husband, which is kind of like a late breaking twist. So she didn't, uh, she didn't cheat on Nicolas Cage at all. So all this uh, drama that the movie has given you thinking that like her filthy lust has like invited in these trespassers uh, turns out, turns out to not be true. This movie has levels, man. Uh, can we talk about some of the other twists with the uh, the titular trespassers' motivations? The first being that they want this money, and if they can't get the money, they will take one of their kidneys. Yes, because in, again, initially we're led to believe that like mama's mama's kidneys busted, and they need one hundred eighty thousand dollars for a new kidney. Not only. Not only is her kidney busted, but her kidney is busted from getting beat so much when the two of them were children. Which again, like we will learn this to be a lie. So, really great, great script work here mm-hmm. uh, to just make that up for the sake of motivation. That's some real three billboards. I hope you get raped and killed. Yeah, garbage. really. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, there is a moment where. Uh, oh yeah, this is one line. I took the note. This line. Um, where when we find out that this is not the case, uh, that the mother is already dead, and Ben Mendelsohn says, and I quote, "She died because she was a fat ass drunk," which yep, ho- hopefully, hopefully, that, hopefully that made it to the eulogy. We love women in this movie. Uh, the next kind of like pivot because Nick Cage finally opens the safe, and another twist: it's empty. So then they're like, "What else do they have in this home that's worth money?" Um, they see a picture of Nicole with like a very fancy necklace, uh, and then they they want that. And Nick Cage has to confess, like we're flops. Um, my house is mortgaged. That necklace is cubic zirconia, and it reminded me of. Um, do you watch any of the Housewives by chance? Just New York. 
Okay, so um, I'm currently watching Real Houses of Orange County. Thank you so much. And uh, one of the housewives, Alexis, makes like a really big deal. She has this giant ring and she constantly wears um, a fake <laughs> because she is like, well, if they steal it, um, like they're just stealing the fake, even though she has insurance on it. And then it just like defeats the purpose of having that ring. But I feel like this necklace is Alexis Bellino's wedding ring in that it, um, they're just like, they're just fakes to hide the fact that there might be a real one. Yeah, and I had a, a I, I had trouble. I've seen this movie like two and a half times, which is humiliating now, but I couldn't quite follow like it's the necklace, which first of all, we're introduced to the necklace because there's a there's like an eight and a half by 11 like p- framed portrait of Nicole wearing the necklace and like pointing to it with her hand like in a like a glamour shots like yearbook photo where she's like gesturing toward the necklace in the photo um, so that we know it's important. And then later you find out that it's cubic zirconia. But at the very end, uh, Nicholas Cage mentioned something about like an insurance policy on the necklace. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't following that or I stopped caring. I yeah. Sure. He, it's, it's the same thing because it means that the necklace exists, but she just like has the fake and even she doesn't know. Um, how about the fact that there's a whole sequence um where like the alarm someone throws a chair through the the like glass and it causes the security people to get informed and there's this whole saga with like a security guard who is so bad at her job and like can obviously tell something's wrong but the daughter like talks she, him out of it the and then she asks for the password she's the mvp she does some great acting and says like i'm just throwing a house party but the security guard asks for the password and avery tells her that the password is diamond as if we couldn't have hit that on the nose enough the diamonds are important to this movie <laughs> the whole security password for the whole family also is diamond think for Beautiful a moment screenwriting. you're a self-made man whose entire you know uh largesse is built on your ability to sell diamonds and you want to protect uh not just your family but the cash that you have hidden on the premises Really, diamond is the code to your security system. Like, what, what are we? What are we supposed to think here beyond that? Uh, you know, this this man probably deserves to see uh, his family perish in front of his eyes. Like, come on. How about the fact that uh, at one point Ben Mendelsohn looks at Cam, however you say his last name, and is like, "Did you take your meds?" At which point Cam takes out like an orange pill bottle, just like sloshes a couple in his mouth. And then Ben mm-hmm. like mockingly does it too, which is just this like horrifying commentary on mental illness in the way that like he's in one beat concerned. And then it's like, oh, I'll just chew my brother's medicine like candy and then throw the rest on the floor. Well, that was another thing that I didn't understand either. right? Because then he says something like, what kind of doctor prescribes like meds that are about as strong as Tic Tacs? And I couldn't understand if, he was suggesting that Cam wasn't really mentally ill or just like his like antipsychotics aren't strong enough for his tape. Like that. I didn't understand what we were to make of that either. It makes no sense. Um, the security company, even though they've canceled like the emergency services alert, like a security guard still shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in like a very cinematic parallel to 1985's clue, um, they open the door, he says something and then they shoot the security guard. Yeah, it was like a it was like a Jane Weedlin singing Telegram Girl moment. I like to think of that as an homage to Clue. I think you're absolutely right. Um, Thank you. Anyway, anytime I can shoehorn a Clue reference in here, I try. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you think about it, there's some there's some similarities here. You know, movies that take place within an entire house where uh, people are wearing like low cut evening wear, 
Um, and somebody, you know, gets shot as soon as they ring the doorbell. That's it, though. I think yeah. it was all the similarities. That's it. That's, That's it. it. <laughs> um, do you want to talk, talk us through the dramatic conclusion of this movie? Unless you have any other stray thoughts. Oh, God. Oh, uh, sure. So um, at a certain point, uh, so the so the daughter uh, has has left again with Jordana Spiro to go basically back to Nico Tortorella's house to get his dad's 9-11 cash and maybe the Cipro as well. Uh, why could it hurt? And then like at a certain point, uh, so basically then uh, the daughter like drives off the road and slams into the aforementioned telephone pole, kills Jordana Spiro. Uh, oh, after she's reached over to unbuckle her seatbelt, which I thought was a nice touch. She like un- unbuckles her t-shirt or her seatbelt and then drives into the pole, which is great. That presumably kills her. Oh, leaving her. Can, we, child can I ask you one question? Sure. Um, were they like handcuffed to each other or something? Because there were handcuffs in the car originally with the briefcase. And I guess my question is why the hell didn't she fly through the windshield of that car? I don't think they were handcuffed to each other. Cause I feel like there was a, uh, a choice made at a certain point that she was the one who would go with her. Um, or I could be wrong, but you're right. I don't know why she didn't fly through the windshield. I mean, they drove full force in a convertible into a telephone pole and she had her seatbelt unbuckled. And I think it's reckless to not show her having flown through there. And I think that that is uh, anti-car safety against many. This movie hates women. This movie hates safety. This movie hates um, mental health. Yeah, this movie hates kidneys. It hates the diamond industry. It hates uh, it hates it hates private security. I, I, the security lady whose name I took the note. Her name is Kaylee. The character's name is Kaylee. I did like when she like just cool. says to the daughter like, "Well, just this once," and then uh, doesn't doesn't do her job. But anyway, so that that car crash happens, and then basically it's revealed that uh, so Ben Mendelsohn's real motivation is that he was trying to do a drug deal. And his drugs got stolen, so now he owes the people that he bought the drugs from all this money. Uh, we find out later that uh, basically it's revealed that his little brother, Cam, set him up to get robbed um, so that they could they would need the money and they would have an excuse to break into uh, Casa de Cage. Is, is that how you recalled it? It all comes by very fast. <sighs> Yes, it definitely, it, it's definitely, Dash Mihawk and Cam, like, pull the padge on Ben Mendelsohn, and that is revealed, and it causes Ben to shoot Dash, like, a couple times in his bulletproof vest, and then he still dies. Eventually, they'll all end up killing yes. each other. It's very Shakespearean. So Ben Mendelsohn um, is going to shoot Nicole, and then Cam shoots him instead. And so there's a moment where you're like, well, maybe he saved the white. Maybe they can be, he, maybe he's part of the family now. Maybe it's like... Maybe there's like a Nick and Nick and Cam like thruple situation that could happening or something. But, um, you know, then that doesn't work because somebody knocks over a gas can and Nicole has Chekhov's lighter, which you mentioned earlier. And then she starts uh, a fire and then Cam starts. There's like this, there's this like, there's always money in the banana stand moment where you find that uh, Nicholas Cage has been hiding uh, all this cash in the uh, under construction part of the house to evade his creditors. So that part of the house is on fire. Cam starts just gathering up all the burning cash. And Nicole, oh no, and then uh, Cage 
shoots him uh, in the foot with uh, Chekhov's nail gun. Um, and that's all very upsetting. So now everything's in, in flames. And uh, uh, there's a moment where, like, it seems like Cam is trying to pull Nicole into the fire, like, in, in a sort of, like, if, if you, you know, I can't have her, nobody can sort of situation. So then Cage uh, shoots him, shoots Cam in the neck, and he um, uh, dies in the hilarious CGI fire. And so Nick and Nick and their daughter escape the the incredibly fake burning house. And you hear, I guess you hear sirens in the, diff- in the distance. And the movie ends with the three of them huddled on the lawn. And literally, Nicole and her daughter just saying to Nicolas Cage, we need you, I need you. And it's all about restoring his masculinity as uh, his, and as head of the household and as the very masculine alpha male protector, uh, no longer cuck of the family. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't, I mean, this is the most sacrilegious thing I'll say today, but the movie has the same final shot as Get Out. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Which is like sirens in the back. And then it just the it gets the fuck out of there. They're laying like, on you the know, ground. Like, we've hit 90 minutes. Like, you don't need to know. You don't need to see them like wrapped in blankets, like, you know, with a cup of coffee, like surrounded by paramedics. Like, you don't need to see like somebody dragging Cam's charred body out on a stretcher. Like, you hear sirens, they're huddling together, and then it's just done. Do you have, um, do you have any stray thoughts about the movie? I have just a, just a couple to get out here. Um, I have a couple stray thoughts. I mean, one is I think that uh, the stunt work is kind of not that bad, uh, particularly. I mean, Nicole spends a lot of time being like pulled by her wig and and like knocked around and pushed around the house, which unfortunately made me think like a little bit about Big Little Lies, the domestic abuse scenes in in, in that show, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where that's done in like a very serious way and is shot in such a way where you could tell that like, you know, she, it, it, there were certain things that are not done with doubles in Big Little Lies that are really like, she did all those interviews where she was like, Alexander and I worked very hard together. And you're like, oh, wow, this is really like, you know, she really got bruised and things like that. This is, you know, really cheap and exploitative. And I'm glad that she didn't like commit at that level. But it, it the stunt work is like fairly fairly decent in this so i was surprised but it, it, it's it's very unbecoming of her like how much the character is just like pushed around and pulled around and dragged by the hair it's again just like a huge waste of, of her i will tell you that when i rated this movie on like my performance scale it's pretty damn close to the bottom but like it's almost hard to rate because she's pretty much just like an ottoman for the whole movie yeah. like she does she has so little agency that it's hard to even like it's hard to even place it. It's just boring. Yeah, she doesn't even have that many lines, really. Like, she's always just, like, staring agape or screaming. <sighs> How about the fact that at one point, Ben Mendelsohn refers to the lady robber as Pet? And I was like, oh, that's a fun nickname. And then later, it is revealed that her name is Petal. Yeah, that was upsetting. It, her name is again, Petal. Like, it's that orange is the new black problem. Like, Jordana... Spiro just does not comport herself like a pedal. It's it just doesn't play. Do you feel like you're ready to rate the movie? Sure. As in so much as a movie like this could be rated. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so these are gonna be some one through five categories. Uh generally five is gonna be like the most or the highest. Um and this can be about Nicole or this can be about the movie at large. 
uh, really feel free to explain yourself um, in however you see fit. Uh, but the first one is going to be something that we've already talked about, which are the wigs in this movie, one through five. Um, so wigs, pl- so I, I think Nicole's is really the, well, you know, I never know what Nicolas Cage's hair situation is, um, really. So I'm going to give this point. a, I'm going to give this a four because I do think it is a mighty, you know, flowing pebbles from the Flintstones by way of Venus to Milo wig situation, but it's also a little derivative of practical magic. So, so four. <laughs> It's a little derivative, but I I did have like a thought to myself during the movie, which is, um, and I've said this before, but I love like a regular woman wig on Nicole. And it is shocking to me um, how, like her face is so versatile. Her face works with like all wigs. So even though this one's like a little, I don't, do you know what I mean though? Like, (laughs) I know, I do know what you mean. I'm laughing. uh, That was a laugh of recognition. I know exactly what you mean. I was like, oh, this is like, I mean, this is a wig that we've kind of seen before, but we haven't seen this look before. This is very, <laughs> this is very specific what I'm saying, but uh, I don't know. It was a thought that I had. Anyway, the next one on here is going to be. Well, can I say one other thing about the wig? Please rescue me, I said. <laughs> or Nicole and wigs in general about, because I agree with you, like a wig really can change your face. Like the wig that she has in Top of the Lake, China Girl. And there's some interesting makeup happening on that show too, where she's like, I don't know if her natural, like her, she used to have freckles. I don't know what happened, but like there's, she has freckles and like her teeth are a little different on that show. But like that, she has this like Jane Campion long gray, but kind of curly wig on top of the lake. And it just completely changes how she looks. Yeah. I was just talking about this um, with a friend of the podcast, Daniel Crook, uh, and we were talking about how in Top of the Lake, like what Jane Campion does to her um, like big list actresses is just try to make them look like her. Because if you'll remember 100%. in season one, Holly Hunter looks just like Jane Campion. Yeah, full Campion. Uh, it's good. We don't talk about Holly Hunter in that show as like a gay icon enough, I think. <laughs> it's amazing. Just like living in those giant like... Uh, cargo boxes with just like and when she she gives that speech about like lose your body surrender your body like kill yourself basically like move on it's just that's such a huge mood <laughs> for me it, sometimes it yeah and just great advice in general burn your body uh okay moving on how do you feel about the accents in this movie one through five and i know you've already had something to say about them um look god love nicole i i accents or not i feel like this has been covered a lot on this podcast before but i i feel like there's kind of just like the nicole accent and you just need to accept it she's not trying terribly hard in this like you you do kind of expect like you know a little bit of like avery like you better be home by from the party before curfew like it's not she's not that was cockney i don't know it wasn't australian but whatever it was it, it was at this definitely. point i have completely given up on doing accents. let's put it this way um, it wasn't shreveport <laughs> it was what she was giving was not wouldn't it have been great if she had tried to do like a like a thick like bayou like like drawl in this just have gone full like uh oh it would have been great if she had given us like uh dennis o'hare vampire king of mississippi accent just like (laughs) just like a treme (laughs) like yeah Yeah. (laughs) to kind of twang but alas was not to be i don't think anybody i think this is the kind of movie where i feel like people got the script about three weeks before they had a slot that they needed to fill 
uh, it was, there was a certain, their quote was met and they were just like, screw it. Just let me find the next flight to Louisiana. I don't think anybody was like working with a dialect coach here. Let's put it that way. So should I give it a number then? One to five for accents? Uh, you should. Yeah. For the sake of this, you should. <laughs> I, I, I'd give it, I'd give it a, I'd give it a two. I'd say, because I, I feel like, uh, you know, Ben, this goes for Ben and Nicole. If you're Australian, we're, we, we know. We're just know. We always know. <laughs> okay. I will say that, um, and I don't, to contextualize, uh, the only things that have been ones, well, really, there's only been a couple of ones for accents, but Grace of Monaco is a one. So I feel okay with being a two. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, This one requires a little bit of explanation, but this is going to be the Naomi Watts scale and high scores Mm. on this particular category usually uh, intimate some sort of uh, level of significance between Naomi and this film um, in some capacity. And I leave it to you to justify that as strong Mm. or as weak as it may be. So where does this rank on the Naomi Watts scale? Yeah, a one would be like, Naomi has never heard of this movie. She did not see it. Nicole and her don't talk about it. A five would be like, she puts it on for her children before bed. Oh, let's see. So uh, I feel like if I were Naomi and I really wanted to traumatize my children with a home invasion uh, film, I would, as, as you suggested earlier, just put on my version of Funny Games. Um, most people have never heard of this movie, Naomi Watts included, so I think this is a one. I, I agree. Um, okay, this is approachability. So if you are at a small function um, and you see Nicole's character from this movie, how likely are you to go up and strike up a conversation with her? Um, well, I would say either one or not applicable applicable because the character does not there's no evidence that she leaves the house. Like I don't think she would be I was gonna, I was waiting for that. I was gonna say the function might have to be in hosted in there. That's home. true. Yeah, it would have to be at the home. In which case I would say, uh well, I mean five, you at least have to acknowledge the hostess. But I think not applicable is the answer here. I think okay, I think I'm gonna give you a one on that. Because I Okay, fair. Because you you do need to assign a number in the. I could I could give you a zero. Really, I I can do whatever I want, but um, (laughs) we'll get a one because I think that if you she has to go to like the grocery store or something, and I feel like if you saw her in that wig, I mean she doesn't look menacing. I'll say that. No, no, but she's very tall, and she is wearing uh, some sparkly jewelry. Um, I I I think you know I think Nicole in general is is pretty uh, imposing, intimidating is not the kind of person that you would just approach in public, or at least uh, I would, I wouldn't. I think I would. <laughs> because I, <laughs> this is coming, this is coming hot off the tails of, of me tweeting at 1am last night that I was going to get drunk this weekend and find a way to email her management about this podcast, <laughs> which is really, really not one of my better ideas. So if you um, had to have Nicole on this podcast, which of her movies would you ask her to, uh, break down with you. I don't. I don't know because, like, I think in practicality, not that this is ever going to happen. Although, if someone can find a way to make it happen, please at me. Um, but I feel like in practicality, it would have to be like you know, like Aquaman or whatever she's promoting mm. next. Um, but like, I don't know that I could ever commit to like talking about something for an hour. I think it would. I don't know. <laughs> God, I would love to talk. To, I would love to talk to her about Birth, just because it's my fave. I also know that she loves that movie. Um, and she like is sad for that performance having not done better. Um, 
I, I would I don't know. if if you told me that I had an hour to talk to Nicole Kidman about any movie that she's ever made, I would actually I would have to say Eyes Wide Shut just to because it just seemed like what were they doing for three years or however long they were shooting that movie? It just seemed like such an insane. Just yeah. the making of it seemed like such an insane process. I would just, I think it would be really funny just to like um, do rapid fire like these same questions and like have her rate her wigs and her own accent. <laughs> Absolutely. Or even do like an AV club random roles where they're like, so tell us about BMX Bandits. Oh, fuck. You know what we could do? This is so, this is not helpful This to anyone on this podcast. This is so masturbatory. But um, do you ever watch like on Broadway.com where they do roll call and like a, an actor stands in front of like all these postcards behind them with all their various roles and they ask oh, a yeah. question they have to go. <laughs> it would be fun to do that with her and be like, what was the performance you loved the most? What was the thing that you got like shit on the most? <laughs> yeah. What happened in the original cut of Invasion? Because uh, what made it to theaters was not clearly not what was intended (laughs) um this is good and the thesis of this again is if anyone has the ability to make this happen please let me know i did get a text from someone who i should probably remain nameless saying that they're staying in the same hotel as her this weekend oh my god if it doesn't end yeah if it doesn't end up with them um setting a date to record with me i i truly will have to block that person on twitter boy that's a shot in the dark I know. Uh, okay. Anyway, back to back to the task at hand. Um, next category: uh, How oppressive to the tenets of Scientology do you think this movie is? A five being it flies in the face of their conventions. So okay, so five is it's incredibly oppressive to Scientology. So it's very threatening. Yeah, it's very threatening. So I actually would put this movie pretty low on that scale. I think this movie is maybe like a maybe a two and that's just because okay. of what happens with uh cam's uh uh mental health medication which is apparently bullshit yeah which seems that's a very scientologist friendly thing to establish is that like why the why are you on these pills they're meaningless i am inclined to agree with that too also everyone in the movie is straight which is something that scientology would approve of yeah uh i think yes yes Yes. I was going to make some joke about like two of the characters being queer coded, but there's like, it's not even worth it. They don't deserve it. Wait, which two? Tortorella? I, I don't know. I mean, in listen, if I'm talking about like who I want to see kiss. Yeah, sure. Him and Cam. <laughs> actually, that would have been a great. No, actually, you know what? I might even say him and Dash. I love Dash Mihawk. Dash, if you're listening, and you are. <laughs> well, but there is that, Hi. I mean, there is that turn where, like, the reason that uh, the daughter goes back to the party is that she basically has said that she will sleep with Nico Tortorella to get the money in his dad's safe. It would be really funny if... Not only does she... Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, not only that does she say that she will sleep with him. She says, there's a guy at this party that wants to fuck me or something like that. Yeah. It's an elegant piece of uh, dramaturgy. <laughs> like it's just a, just a, like a Preston Sturges kind of, uh, <laughs> uh, thing, is the dialogue has. but um, yeah, but it's, it would be interesting. It would have been an interesting third act. If instead of taking Jordana, she had taken Cam and they'd actually gone there and, and uh, you know, something had happened with Nico instead. That's that's the uh, version of Trespass that you wish Schumacher had brought to the table. Joel, come on, look alive. Like, you had this opportunity. I know, wasted. Uh, my last category for you is just 
overall level of iconicness as this movie pertains to Nicole's career? Uh, one. I mean, this is the this is a low it's point. A of, this is a low <laughs> point of her career. I mean, this may be the worst movie that she's ever done. It's it, it's. I, I think it's. I think you can easily make the argument that it's the most inconsequential movie that she's ever done. Like, it's just one of these things where. You know, an actor's only power is to say no, and I just can't believe she said yes to this. It's it's just, it's very beneath her station. I have some pretty shocking news for you. Uh-oh. About your, about your score, uh, which is also on the, the scale for the Golden Compass. I forgot to mention that. Um, you are... You are officially the lowest scoring movie. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Great. I think that's great. I think that this movie probably deserves that. I mean, it's uh, it's direct-to-video, like, gar- it's, this is her closest thing. I mean, can you think of a better example of, like, like when jo- Joan Crawford in her trog period, like, when that the whole, like, viewed Betty and Joan, like, when they're just making these humili- humiliating, like, you know, B movies like this is kind of the only humiliating B movie that she's ever made. Like she's done movies that were tons of movies that were like ambitious and didn't work or were maybe like mm-hmm. studio productions that failed or were like, or, or were like artistically ambitious indies that failed. But this is the only movie that she's made since becoming a star. That's like junk. Yeah. I gave it one star on letterboxd. Um, I should also say that this gives you an 11 out of 30. Really, your only close contemporary is Birthday Girl, which is a 13. And then everything else is like at least five God. points ahead of you. Is This is, this is uh, remarkable. I'm, I'm, I'm proud and thrilled to uh, be part of this historic moment. But I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't even think of a movie that's this, that's this inconsequential that she's done. Um, I... I'm thinking of like a like the remake of Secrets in Their Eyes or like oh, yeah. Railway Man, but even but, but even those in their like eyes got a got a wide release though. It got a wide release, and like I know that I haven't seen Railway Man, um, but like I know it's going to be like a perfectly capital O, and capital K. Railway, Ma- Railway Man, I have seen, is very boring, but it's at least like prestige, and is about like something like this is just a. Uh, we got the money. We got the tax credit. Everybody has two months free in their schedule. Like, fuck it. Let's just, let's just shoot it. Like, this is like a, this is just well, like make work. I'm glad you're excited about your score. It reminds me of the Jennifer Lawrence WTF that recently aired mm. when she's super proud about her Razzie nomination for mother. Uh, I As feel she should like, be. like you feel similarly about the, she should. Um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, before, before I let you go, I have one more task for you if you feel up to it. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we've talked about this a little already, uh, so I did give you a slight thumbs up. But in lieu of talking about Big Little Lies myself, um, you've done me mm. a kindness by talking about it a little earlier in the episode. Um, I'm going to have you do it one more time. The only trick is I'm going to mm. have you talk about the whole first season and i'm gonna have you talk about it in 60 seconds um so whenever you feel ready uh i'll have you do that (laughs) sure so uh big little lies is a searing drama about how difficult it is to be blonde um it is the story of uh uh several wealthy women in monterey california all of whom have secrets and uh, two of them are best friends. And then there's a third one that they really hate, but their kids are all in school together. And then a, uh, a new uh, woman shows up on the scene. Who's 
A, much younger, and B, not not blonde. Um, Nicole is, in fairness, wearing a red wig in this movie, but I think she's an honorary blonde, if we're just being clear. You know, she she has that blonde bearing. And Alexander Skarsgård is blonde, and her children are blonde. So it all... Um, I just think Big Little Lies is just a fascinating meditation on, bl- on blondness and secrets and um, uh, comparative uh, comparative uh, status and uh, going to school fundraisers that are called Trivia Night, even though nobody answers any trivia questions and everybody dresses up like Elvis Presley. Mm. Wow. <laughs> you said it was a searing drama, which honestly, you could have stopped right there. It is. It's a, you know, that... What's so like addictive about Big Little Lies is is it has its searing drop. Like everybody thought it was going to be like this like campy soap opera. I think just because women are in it and it's and it's written by David E. Kelly. But uh, the the actual like intense drama moments of Big Little Lies really work. But the comedy works and it's sexy and fun and um, I love it. I've, I've watched the whole thing like twice all the way through, which I don't usually do with TV. I don't think that anyone has said it explicitly um but i've been thinking a lot about how hong chow is one of the like talking heads from the the village and just that she doesn't get enough attention and she should have been nominated for downsizing tomorrow and also retroactively for inherent vice that's all i hope they expand her role in big little eye season two uh that was a a tangent to end all tangents um yeah save it for the uh, hong chow festo i mean i think that's a there's a whole other podcast can you imagine? <laughs> Before we go, can you just let the audience know where we can find you? Uh, sure. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter at uh, Rob Watson. But the uh, I have a very generic name, so all of my handles are uh, uh, a little tricky. So it's Rob Watson, but the O in Rob is a zero, which I've gathered recently makes people think that I'm a Russian bot. I'm not. I'm a real person, just with a very common name. So Rob Watson... Uh, with a zero instead of an O in Rob. Thanks. Um, I'm definitely a Russian bot, and you can find me <laughs> on Twitter at, <laughs> at Mr. Sam Herbst. Um, this podcast is a way for spreading leftist propaganda, specifically under the guise of these B-movies, um, and you can find it at The Kid Manifesto. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Pocket Casts and all those things. Um, Rob, thank you for doing this. Oh, I'm, my pleasure. I'm thrilled to have discussed this terrible movie. Uh, do you have any suggestion? There's no music in this movie for the most part. So do you have any suggestion for what I should play us out to? Otherwise, I'm just going to play Smash the Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, well, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, what would Jordana, when they cut back to Jordana on the pole, like what would she have uh, been dancing to? So maybe like Radar Love, maybe something like that. Or just some good like Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Just some good like... Louisiana stripper pole music, I think, is where you want to go. I can try. I can do that. Uh, Thank you. Thank you again. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, I'll talk to you in a post-Gary Oldman Oscars world. Oh, a whole new world. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.